From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Brian Mullady. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. A tremendous Thursday to each and every one of you. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line. Father Brian Mullady is in the house and raring to go. If you've got a question for Father, the number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is one 205 Two seven one two nine eight five, and we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. You can always send us an email, open line at ewtn.com, or you can text your question to Father. Text the letters EWTN to five five zero zero zero. Wait for a response. Text your first name and your question message, and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program. Your call screener is Matt Kubensky and Jeff Burson handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and we may get to it by the end of the program. And our host, as he is every Thursday, Dominican Father Brian Mullady, and I have been looking forward to this day all week because this topic that you're going to address at the beginning of the program the three comings in Advent, and I'm dying to hear about this. Okay. Well, as you know, we should have said Happy New Year last uh, Sunday because the calendar year begins on January 1st, but the year of grace begins on the first Sunday of Advent. And on the first Sunday of Advent, the word Advent in Latin meaning coming, we actually speak about three comings. And these three comings are essential to our preparation for Christmas. I usually tell people in the homily, well, there's about 20 shopping days left until Christmas, 20 days in which you'll deck your halls with boughs of holly and do all kinds of other things to physically prepare for a family feast, and that's wonderful. But we have to remember what the real purpose of Christmas is, and that is that in the darkness of our own souls, the light begins to dawn because he comes for whom the human race longed for centuries to redeem us from original sin, the first great darkness. So the first coming of Christ, obviously because we're preparing for Christmas, we celebrate as the coming 2,000 years ago when our Lord came in humility and weakness. We knew the time of his coming. It was proclaimed by the prophets and in humility and weakness in order to redeem us from sin. But this coming, of course, which has already occurred, has as its purpose to prepare us for another company coming. We're told to watch and to be awake. But does this watching and being awakening for the coming mean a physical being awake? No, what it means is a spiritual awakeness. And Christ's redemption of us causes in us, when we're baptized, 
the ability to also prepare ourselves now for the coming of Christ at the end of time. In the first coming, he came in humility and weakness, and we knew the time of his coming. But in the second coming, he will come in power and in glory to judge the living and the dead from the mouth of the flesh, which was generated from the womb of the Virgin Mary. And we know not the day nor the hour for this coming, and that's why we're told to stay awake and be alert. However, we don't live in the second coming, and we don't live, we live in the results of the first coming 2,000 years ago. Our preparation then, and often John the Baptist or the prophecies of Isaiah are read in this season, you know, about making the straight way in the desert and the valleys will be raised up and the mountains made low, has to do with the third coming, which is the birth of our Lord in our souls. In order for us to have our Lord born well in our souls, we need to prepare our souls. And we do this by staying awake spiritually and also by addressing our faults, that's like raising up the valleys, and lowering the mountains of our pride through virtues, so that we may give him a fit dwelling place when he's born again. What physically occurred in Mary's womb 2,000 years ago is meant to spiritually occur in the heart of the Christian on a daily basis, so that in light of the first coming, we may be prepared and watchful spiritually for the second coming when we shall meet our Lord in his fullness of his, not only humanity, but also his divinity. So I often tell the people, during this season, when you're spending all this time decking your halls with physical decorations, that you know at the end of the celebration of Christmas will be put away or thrown out, you know, the presents will be used or exchanged, the food will be eaten. Please, please, please don't underestimate the spiritual preparation. Because this spiritual preparation is where you deck your souls in gladness. No longer just boughs of holly, though there's nothing wrong with that, it's wonderful. But you deck your souls. So when Christ comes again now to enter into the human race, what is it that he will find? Will he find the coldness of rejection like he did in the inn so many years ago, 2,000 years ago? Or instead, will he find a warm, welcoming place in which Jesus, the baby Jesus, can be born now in order to change us so that we might be spiritually mature? So there's what, uh, often 20 or 23 or depending on where you're at in Advent, some shopping days left until Christmas. But that shopping isn't limited to physical gifts. That shopping also has to be from a desire for divine love. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, your number is one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. 
We got an email from Cindy, and she wants to know, has the church forgotten about the dogma that outside the Catholic Church there is no salvation? Not at all. But remember, there's two dogmas that have to be affirmed. The first one is outside the church there is no salvation, because in the church we find the fullness of what Christ at Christmas came to bring us, which is redemption, the revelation of God, the light into our darkness and the sacraments. But the second is equally important, and it's a moral doctrine, and that is that God never condemns those who do what they're able to do. The Latin phrase is, quote, est and say, what you have in yourself. And you can find this, both of these proclaimed in the catechism. So if a person through no fault of their own doesn't know about the church, or if they rejected the church because the church was represented by the troops from Europe that killed all their villagers, you know, and something like that, there's an impediment that's put up that's not necessarily an impediment of faith. And God will never oblige a person to something which is impossible for them to know. So the traditional terminology for this is, if a person's in invincible ignorance concerning the necessity of being a part of the church, then whatever they know of the church implicitly and accept, provided they, they observe the positive things that the church has in common with whatever they believe in, and devalue the negative things, that they can be saved also. We're just getting started on a Thursday edition of EWTN's Open Line. A couple of open phone lines for you, and plenty of time for your call. Straight ahead, we'll talk to Aaron in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Paul in Seattle, Washington, Fran in Buffalo, New York, and we have plenty of time for your phone calls as well. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985. And if you are outside of North America, we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one 205 you can always send us an email, openline at EWTN.com, and put Thursday or Father Brian in the subject line, and we'll get it to the appropriate location. It's EWTN's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Milady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, Mother Angelica always thought it was important that you surround yourself with good Catholic um, literature as well as holy reminders uh, to keep you always close to the faith. And EWTN's Religious Catalog was established for that very purpose. You can find all of your needs there uh, for gifts and, and what have you at EWTNRC.com. 
And uh, you can even check out the EWTN Religious Catalog TV show. And you can even have that a reminder about that show sent straight to your email inbox. Just go to EWTN.com slash subscribe. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. One open line at 833-288-3986. First up today is Aaron. He is in Halifax, Nova Scotia, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Wow. Aaron, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Brian Mullady. Hi. Uh, hi, Father. Thank you for taking my call. Um, my questions sort of relate to cohabitation and confession. So I am uh, currently cohabitating with my girlfriend, which I know is a mortal sin and something I'm working on. Uh, I desire to go to confession, but at the end of the day, I'd be returning to living with her. So by doing that, does that invalidate my confession? And is there like no point in going if it's not a valid confession? Well, the trouble is you see that you're in a continuous state of sin. If you're having sex, of course, Cohabitation means more than just living as brother and sister. And so it's rather silly to think that you're going to be absolved from this uh, if you're sorry for it when you don't change your situation because someone can always move out, you know, and, and uh, practice uh, chastity in chase relationships to date or do whatever you're going to do without having to live together. So since you're in a continuous state of mortal sin, the um, church can't give you absolution because a firm purpose of amendment there would mean basically either moving out or living as brother and sister. Does that confirm yep. your fears, Aaron? Uh, yes, it does. <laughs> I'm very oh, sorry. Well, I'm working on it. So, by the grace of hey, God, listen. Let me let me let me give you a, a bit of encouragement here. Uh, you have cre you know some people would think you have put yourself in a situation that uh, you know may not be resolvable in the near term, but I would tell you that you have put yourself in a position to exhibit heroic virtue. And where there's a spiritual will, there's a spiritual way, and I think you can get yourself out of this situation, especially if you really love this young lady. How about that, Father? Yes. Well, as I say, move out. <laughs> or practice brother-sister relations. I mean, that, that is heroic virtue. It's true. But until you're willing to do one or the other, there's not much we can do about confession because, you know, the whole intention has to be carried out in this particular case by avoiding the sinful act. So it's the sinful act that's the problem. And one thing you've done by calling in today, Aaron, is you'll have a whole bunch of folks listening today to uh, pray for pray you all. Pray exactly. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Next up is Paul in Seattle, Washington, up in your neck of the woods, Father Brian. He's listening on Sirius XM Channel 130 as well. Paul, you're on with Father Brian. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my call. I'm a lifelong Catholic who struggles every day with the temptations of our society, so I'm one that needs all the graces and help I can get. So my question is, in this new liturgical year, what are the opportunities existing or will come up during the year for um, indulgences that will help me with uh, with temptations and so forth? Well, almost anything can be a matter of indulgences, you know. 
I mean, the sign of the cross made with holy water is a source of indulgences um, because God wants to save you. And not only does he want to save you, but he wants to encourage and support you in this. So it's true that the church designates certain things and tries to do... They used to be very specific about this, and it was kind of strange in a way. You know, you get 500 years off in purgatory for this. They used to measure it that way. But that was something after the council they kind of came away from, so that now you have a plenary of partial indulgence in the how partial the partial indulgence is, nobody really makes clear. However, you do realize that whenever you do a loving act, and especially a loving act in relationship to demonstrating your faith in God, that that is a cause for at least the remission of some of the punishments of purgatory. Also, you know, uh, plenary indulgences are things that we have lots and lots of occasions to get, too. Pilgrimages, uh, certain days of the year, have plenary indulgences attached with them if you go to Mass and all those things. And also, almost every prayer that you say, especially the rosary or something like that, has a partial indulgence attached to it. So the issue is, uh, it isn't a kind of divine ledger system of bookkeeping. The issue is, insofar as you perform religious acts from a right intention, in fact, we had that today in the reading for Mass about not just saying but doing. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does my Father's will. When you do these things, you can't help, if you're doing them with a right intention, to become more open to the Holy Spirit and more loving and more transformed by Christ. So I would say that you have all sorts of, lots and lots of opportunities. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. Next stop for us is Buffalo, New York. Fran is in Buffalo. She's listening on the Amazon Echo. Fran, you are on with Father Brian Mullady. Hi, Fran. Thank you. Hi, Father Brian. Um, I My question has some deep thought. And um, some difficulty in disappointments, dealing with disappointments, and drawing family members closer to spirituality, like following more of a traditional Catholic um, following, you know, honoring feast days or most important Christmas Eve, so I'm and following um, especially in these times like a good path. So my family does do very very charitable works for people in the community and they they follow through. Well, what's your question? But, uh, the question is how to make them become more devout in the Catholic faith. That's I the see. thing that uh, um, what there's been a lot of change in the Catholic Church, and I pray for renewal. Yes, you know there's there's been some things that make it uh, 
difficult for, we all make mistakes, um, but there is the principle of, 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 of God, Jesus, the church, and, and following through. Well, well, are you saying they're nice people, but they don't go to mass, or what are you saying? They don't go regularly. Okay. Um, they, they feel sometimes that um, some of the members in church, those laity or even some of the past what, priests, didn't follow what they practiced, didn't practice what they preached. Yeah. So, Father, I think it, it can be difficult, can it not, in our day and time, really probably in any day and time, to separate what the Church teaches from what some of her members do, huh? Well, that's certainly true. However, I think that a person's relationship with Christ shouldn't depend on anybody else's relationship with Christ. And just because sometimes the clergy are not all they should be or the laity are not all they should be, that should have nothing to do with your faith or your family's faith in Christ. That's between you and our Lord. And uh, I personally, you know, I grew up with priests. I lived with priests as I was 19. I know many of us have weaknesses, but I never made my faith depend on whether a, a priest was, in my opinion, totally practicing what they should or not. Because for one thing, I don't have a right to judge that exactly. And I hear all kinds of people make all these judgments about all the people they go to Mass with. You know, we know ourselves very little, and we know other people even less. And I think we need to beware of being so facile in, in judging people. Now, of course, we do know today there have been scandalous examples among the clergy, but this isn't the first time this has happened. And uh, I've always enjoyed, I think I've said this maybe on this program before, but the story of Cardinal Consalvi, who was the one of the last of the lay people who was cardinal. You know, you don't have to be a priest to be a cardinal. The, the John twenty third said you did have to be a bishop. But I mean, for many years, many people were cardinals who weren't in clerics. So they weren't because uh, that's just a person who elects the pope. So Cardinal Consalvi lived around the time of Napoleon. He was a very astute Vatican diplomat who was a lay person. And when the Pope signed his treaty with Napoleon to allow the free practice of the Catholic religion again in France, Cardinal Consalvi was sent to negotiate the treaty. It was called the Concordat. And when he walked into the court, Napoleon wasn't yet the emperor. Uh, he was the first consul, but there, all the important people from France were standing there. So Napoleon looked at this cardinal in public and he said, you know, even though I'm signing this treaty with the Vatican, I'm still the most powerful person on earth and I can destroy the Catholic Church anytime I want to. And in a very diplomatic Italian turn of phrase, the Cardinal said, well, it's an idea, but if the bishops haven't been able to destroy the Catholic Church for 1,800 years, the chief consul of France doesn't stand a chance. <laughs> now, you know, I, I, I don't know. I have different feelings about this. I think it's sometimes an excuse when we look at everybody else and point the finger at them and say, that's why we don't go. When we, if we really love Jesus as much as we say we do, and we knew him well, 
what other people do, that's their problem. You know, we have to leave them for the Lord's judgment. I would say if you want to get your family to go back to Mass, the best way to do it is to uh, be a good example yourself and happy doing it. People are going to want to know why you're so happy being Christian. God bless you, Fran. We appreciate that phone call today. Plenty of time for your calls at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's Open Line Thursday with Father Brian Mullady. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Still plenty of show left. We'd love to hear your phone calls today at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986 with your questions for Dominican Father Brian Mullady. Next up is Kelly. She is in Denver, Colorado, listening on the Catholic Radio Network. Kelly, you are on with Father Brian. Hey, Kelly. Yeah, I just had a quick question. I know someone called in um, earlier asking about the dogma, the teaching of, you know, the Catholic Church having the fullness of the faith and all of that. I can't understand you. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Uh, yeah. I can. I couldn't understand you. Yeah, that's so better. Say it again, yes. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to know, um, I'm a hospice nurse, and, um... Obviously, you know, I've been with a lot of people at the end of their life and been led to play with a lot of people right before they've, you know, passed away. And I know a lot of those people obviously weren't Catholic, so I just wanted to know what the Catholic Church's like, teaching would be on that. As All right, so, you know, so what I got was you're a hospice nurse. Is yes. that correct? And what yes. you want to know is how to encourage people that you're nursing for. Is that it with the faith? Well, I think she's wondering, so, a certain number of people that she's with, she knows are not Catholic, and then she's kind of wondering what the hope is for them based oh. on the dogma of the Church. Well, as I say, um, I said it before, God never condemns those who do what they're able to do. So in the sense that uh, they may have heard about the Catholic Church, but they may not know much about it. Uh, I find that Protestants are as ignorant of why their religion, is, you know, is their religion, as we are in our lack of catechesis today, too. Most Catholics or Protestants couldn't give you any kind of realistic explanation about what the whole debate about justification by faith was all about and how that led to what it led to in the history of the division of the churches. As of the people who aren't Catholic and they're, they're pagans, well, they haven't been evangelized yet. But the best way, if you wanted to participate in their evangelization, is not to preach at them or whatever, but just to be happy in your religion. People have a lot of questions about people when they're happy in their religion, um, even when it involves life and death issues. We had a priest who was diagnosed with colon cancer and his doctor was uh, an atheist Jew. And uh, he said, I, you have colon cancer. And my, our, our priest said, um, thank you. And the doctor said, well, don't you understand what I'm telling you? You're going to die soon. He says, yes, I know. Thank you. Well, the doctor said he'd never had experienced such a reaction to such a diagnosis. 
So he said, is the reason you're so nonchalant about this because you're a Catholic priest? And our priest said, well, I suppose so. But he was astonished, you know. And uh, this particular priest had also converted his doctoral thesis person at Berkeley, who was also an atheist Jew through art. He was he majored in art. So a lot of it has to do with how happy and uh, adjusted you seem in your own faith, in my opinion. And as to what their destination is, you have to leave that up to the Lord and to them. Is that helpful, Kelly? Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's just um, God is the ultimate authority, I guess, is what I was just trying to um, get at, if that's what the Catholic Church teaches. Well, the Catholic Church teaching is that we have the fullness of the means of revelation, but also, again, that some people may not realize it or may not understand it, um, and, and it's not that they're rejecting our religion necessarily, it's just that they haven't been evangelized properly. So that's not their fault. So God isn't going to judge them for that. God bless you, Kelly. Thanks so much for the phone call, and thanks so much for the work that you do. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Still have one open line at 833-288-3986. Next up is Aaron. He is in southern Alabama listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Aaron, you're on with Father Brian. Hey, Aaron. Yeah, how's it going? Good. All right. Hey, I just had a, a, a quick, simple question for you. Uh, understanding I see a lot of different ways to be saved in the Bible. I'm just trying to figure out which one is right. Uh, I don't understand what you mean, different ways to be saved. Could you be more specific, please? <laughs> okay. Uh, yes, sir. I sure can. Um, so you've got multiple different locations in your King James Bible, where uh, you have to be water baptized um, in order to be saved. You have to uh, convert to be a Jew, so you have, you have to be proselyted in to become a Jew. That was the instruction for the Gentiles um, back during Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, and then you've also got Peter, who says you must repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus only. But then you have Jesus himself over in Matthew 28 that says, uh, be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Absolutely. So, and then you've got yes. Paul who says over in Acts chapter 16 to the Philippian jailer, uh, just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Yes, but he also baptized got, them. Yes. You've got... Yeah, but that wasn't a requirement for salvation. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. Paul. Yes, it is. Oh, it is. Well, Yes, it is. And it doesn't have to mention that he did that. But it, it, how about Philip and the can, unit from the you know Candace, the unit from the course of the Candace? What's to prevent him from being baptized right here? There's water, so Philip baptizes him. Now, uh, what I would say to you is that uh, you're looking on those things as though they're sort of mutually exclusive things. They all have to do with the same idea, and of course, the Lord's words are the most powerful go and preach and baptize, which is by water. That's what baptism means there. He was, after all, baptized by water by John, although that was an example to us. He didn't need it. And also it was a remission of sins. But now that he's not on the cross, that baptism is necessary for our salvation. 
And he says, preach and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you have both the preaching and the sacraments. And both are equally necessary. And again, they're not mutually exclusive things. They have to do with a further uh, explanation of what a particular act actually is. So I mean, you can quote scripture texts to me all you want, but they have to be put in context, number one. And number two, they're not necessarily referring to different things, but different aspects of the same thing. And I find that people that take one sentence out and just quote it don't look at the context and they don't look at what is actually being said because you, know, you can't say everything in one sentence. Nobody can. And so you have the essential truth given by our Lord in that case, but then you have how the church carries it out in practice. And um, so anyway, I, I would not say that those things are mutually exclusive or contradictory, or are there different ways to salvation. There's only one way through our Lord Jesus Christ, and he himself said that baptism was necessary. And of course that involves confession and conversion of sin. In water baptism, people are asked if they renounce Satan and all his works. In other words, they were they renounce sin. And then they're asked if they believe. Yes, repent and believe. So all those things are just different aspects of the same idea. Thanks, Aaron. We appreciate the call today. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Marie is in Seattle, Washington, as we head back to the Pacific Northwest. She's a first-time caller listening on Sacred Heart Ooh. Radio. Marie, you're on with Father Brian. Hello, um, Father. I have a question regarding um, confession. I was received into the Catholic Church um fairly recently, and um, but I was baptized at the at a very young age um, yes. as a baptist. So when I made my confession, I had many years worth of, uh, of confession to cover. Um, and when I made my confession, it wasn't at my local parish. I, I went someplace else. And when I was making my confession, especially over a particular grave sin, um, I wasn't actually sure after I came out of the confession if the priest had, had heard me correctly. He asked one clarifying question, um, but then didn't ask anything else after that. Um, and the question that he asked, could have, if he didn't hear me correctly, could have confused him as to whether or not I was the transgress transgressor or um, the one who was, who was offended. Um, and so it's, it's been a thing that has bothered me off and on as to whether or not that was a valid confession. Oh, all right, yes. Yes, it is a valid confession because the priest was forgiving what you had confessed, not what he understood you to be confessing. So the, the absolution is applied to what you say. Remember, the, primary, the confession is primarily between you and Christ. The priest is the human mediator, who um, witnesses it, also uh, applies the absolution, and can help a person to be more aware of their sins or their virtues and give some spiritual direction. But you're not primarily confessing to him. You're primarily confessing to our Lord. So whether he heard you totally correctly or not, and the fact that he asked a clarifying question, I think, demonstrates that he heard you. 
Um, but, but, you know, we're not allowed to question too closely, um, especially if it's a sexual sin. Uh, we're not supposed to question too closely. Uh, what we need to know is just what's necessary for absolution. That's all. And, again, it's what you intended to confess which the absolution is applied to. So I, I would not worry about it. Does that put your mind at rest, Marie? Yeah, yes, it does. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thanks for the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Still time for your phone calls. Thomas is in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, listening on iHeartRadio. Thomas, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Brian. Hi. Hey, Father. How are you? Okay. Um, I want to ask you about uh, the reading from Matthew today. Um, they talked about today at New Mass about um, doing the will of God. Yes. Um, and also, I, I want to. I'm big on the sacraments: confession, going to Mass, adoration, prayer, the Rosary. But can you define more? To know for me to know that we're doing the will of God, like how we know we're following oh, yeah. the will of God. All right. Okay, well, this is, again, another example in Scripture where you have to put it in the context of all of Scripture. Um, what the Lord is saying there, basically, is external conformity isn't enough. You have to also couple it with interior desire. And that interior desire has to be expressed not just in words, but also in deeds. So you have people that say to you, oh, Jesus and I are okay with each other. I had someone tell me this was a confession. Jesus and I are okay with each other, but of course I'm living with someone out of wedlock and I don't intend to stop. And I said, well, you're very sure of that, huh? Oh, yes, of course. Look, you could sit there and use the name of the Lord all the time and, and say, well, I'm, you know, I'm a... I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm going to be saved, I don't have to do anything else. No, you have to carry out your word, your words and deeds. And of course, one of the places, first of all, you have the Ten Commandments that teach you the will of God. You can't be breaking any of them. And then also the prophets are constantly railing about this. The people who have external conformity to the Jewish religion, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord in Jeremiah, but they also practice idolatry and they practice injustice and they practice all these other things. So, you know, your practice is what demonstrates what your faith really is. So doing the will of God primarily refers there to avoiding sin and secondarily to trying to live the virtues of your state, whatever they are. How's that, Thomas? Yeah, pretty good. So a actions over words and words over thoughts. In our, in our, in well, our I wouldn't say percent. over, but they prove the truth of is the thing. Right. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, yeah. Father. Okay, great. Thanks, Father. Or thanks. Well, thank you too, Father, but thanks, Thomas, for the phone call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. You know, we've got a great new program that we launched earlier this year uh, with Father Brian Milady's old buddy, Mother Angelica. She did that TV show for years and years and years, and some of the highlights of those shows over the years were her oh, taking yeah. phone calls from viewers. 
And we've taken those uh, answers to phone calls and we've woven them into uh, a radio show on Sundays hosted by Doug Keck and Father Joseph Mary called Mother Angelica Answering the Call. And you can check it out this Sunday and every Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Still have time for your calls at 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Phil is in Springfield, Illinois, listening on Covenant Radio. Phil, you're on with Father Brian. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. My question is just an issue I've kind of been confused about. Uh, You know, we baptize infants. And I always thought that that, that was uh, okay. To, that, but don't you have to be in some in some method where you're agreeing to be baptized? I mean, I I, I don't know how that how that works. I mean, you, you yes, can. This is a I was baptized question. as an infant. Yeah, this is a common question. No, you don't. Uh, your godparents answer for you in your place. And the reason is because salvation from original sin is such an important thing. And, uh, you know, you could die as a child with original sin if you weren't baptized. So to save you from original sin, your consent isn't needed in that. But the thing that would militate against baptism is if you dissented. In other words, if you weren't really intending to do what the church does. You said, I don't want to be baptized, I don't intend to be baptized, and yet someone decided to do it anyway. Well, it wouldn't take then, because you have to be open to it if you have a free will. But if you don't have a free will, then a sacrament can be conferred on you, and in this case, the godparents are supposed to answer the questions in your place. And uh, the idea is that as you grow and you become more aware that you, we don't believe in like Lutheran confirmation where we're not sure exactly what happens in baptism. We have to wait till the person's an adult to accept it. No, they accept it the first time they do a moral judgment, normally around the age of seven, personally. And they don't have to make a formal acceptance because they've been saved. They're a part of the Christian church. Uh, they have the character conformity to Christ as priest, prophet, and king in them. And, you know, that's not only true of baptism. But in the Eastern Church, uh, a baby is given at the same time, I believe, baptism and confirmation and Holy Communion (laughs) all together at once, a baby. So, I mean, you know, the the sacraments are interesting because they, remember, work ex opere operato. In other words, the work being performed and the intention of the person receiving it isn't the means by which grace is given to them. However, of course, if they had some impediment where they will not to receive it, then they wouldn't receive the grace. But a baby doesn't have formed desires one way or the other. So we look on these things as so important uh, to the salvation of the human race that we confer baptism on infants. Thanks so much, Phil. We appreciate that call. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 833-288-3986. Alfred is a first-time caller in Puerto Rico. He is watching us on YouTube today. Alfred, you're on with Father Brian. Hey, Alfred. Hi, Father Brian. How are you doing today? Okay. Good. I'm happy to hear that. Uh, well, Father, my, uh, I do have a question. Is 
and I just wanted to see if, if you can clear me up. I have a few friends of mine that have, you know, uh, openly told me that they're gay, and they still practice the Catholic faith, like go to church, receive communion, and go to confession, and pray the rosary as often as, they're, as, they're, as they can, of course. And it kind of puzzles me, and I just wanted to know from you, is it possible to be gay and still practice the Catholic faith? All right, well, that's a good question, and the manner in which you ask it really isn't exactly correct. It's proper to have a homosexual inclination and still be a good practicing Catholic. So we don't judge people for their inclinations. However, as would be the case even with heterosexual people, you cannot act out on them because... Uh, by homosexual acts, that you couldn't be a good Catholic and do that. Because it would be the same with a person committing adulterous acts who was heterosexual. And since we don't look on marriage as possible for homosexuals, then they would be committing an act against the Sixth Commandment, just as much as people living together without the benefit of clergy, or wedlock would be committing more sins too against the Sixth Commandment. So, yes, a, a person with a homosexual inclination, we don't judge those, can certainly be a good practicing Catholic, but they have to be chaste, which means they have to practice abstinence. And they obviously can't live the gay lifestyle either, where they're sort of almost having sex, baby, but just stop. Short of that, that's not a good thing. Is that cleared up for you, Alfred? Sure, definitely. Thank you so much. Sure. The Catechism talks about this, so look it up there. You know, and it's a, a couple times you've referenced the, the Catechism. I, I meant to ask you this earlier when we got tied up with, with phone calls. Um, you know, a lot of people that, that we run across don't have a copy of the Catechism, even Catholic families that don't have a, a copy of the Catechism. Uh, a lot of us have copies of the Catechism and find it to be a helpful resource uh, with the the indexes that it has, how important is it to just delve a little bit into the catechism just to further your own spiritual growth? Well, I would say extremely important. However, my general impression is that the catechism was basically approved about 1993 in English. Most young Catholics don't even know it exists. You talk to them about it, and they look at you. What's the what's that? You know. <laughs> The Catechism of the Catholic Church was mandated by the Bishops' Conference in Rome in 1986 on the occasion of the closing, 20th anniversary of the closing of Vatican II. And when the bishops met, they said, we're not even sure what we still teach as a church because there's been so much theological ferment. So they asked for a general, uh, clear statement of what we still believe and they, every Episcopal conference in the whole world got involved. It took years to get it all straightened out. So it's an extremely important document. Now, is everything in it? No. But certain basic things are. And especially when the moral part, in my opinion, is the best part. And that will help you greatly. If you just look it up, you, know, you can look at the index and find out where what your question is, is treated. And it's not hard to understand for the most part. So I encourage you to get a Catechism of the Catholic Church. You can get small paperback editions now and look it up or use it to help you 
when you have a question about either our doctrine or our morals. Quickly, we'll head to Cheryl in upstate New York, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Cheryl, just a couple minutes left with Father Brian. What's your question today? Hi. Hi, Father. Uh, Hi. I, I explained to the screener, um, I'm just getting out of work today, and I've had quite, uh, quite a day, an eight-hour day. I'm a nurse. I work in an ICU uh, in upstate New York. And uh, I walked in this morning at about 7 o'clock. I don't do direct contact with these patients, but I have an office in the ICU. I work with other types of patients All throughout right. the hospital. Yeah, we're, we're, we're about out of time, Cheryl, we're so we're going to have to get time. to the question. Yeah. yeah. My question, it's more of a statement. The girl across the hall from me died of COVID today. Please pray for these poor people that are dying. Yes. Vaccinated or unvaccinated. I just witnessed a beautiful 30-something-year-old girl die. And I I just, my heart breaks to her, her family that I saw morning. And the doctors and nurses that care for these people are unbelievably strong. Right, heroic. They're doing such a good job. Please we'll pray be, for these people. Okay, we'll be happy to pray for them, okay? All right. And That's keep awesome. Up the Thanks, good Cheryl. Work. We appreciate yes. all that work that you're doing. Your generosity, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, and she had told the screener initially if there was a specific prayer that she should have said for her when she had passed away. Oh, uh, well, the Hail Mary's great. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Yeah. It's, it's hard to top. <laughs> Very hard right. to top. Well, Father Brian, thank you again for your time on Surely. another great uh, Open Line Thursday on this first Thursday of Advent. I know that you will be bebopping around the country doing retreats for this Advent season, uh, but we will uh, we will track you down wherever you are and uh, right. and get get in a, another episode of uh, EWTN's Open Line Thursday. Would you leave us with a blessing? Blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He sent upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Amen. On behalf of our host, Father Brian Milady, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to EWTN's Open Line Thursday. Back at it tomorrow with our very own Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, on EWTN's Open Line Friday. Until we get together then, God bless.